Welcome to the Nuco Shift Dialogues podcast. For the first season, we've selected some of the best conversations we've had throughout the year to share with you, our first listeners. These conversations were originally recorded at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center as part of our Dialogues project, where we chat with leaders on the front lines of the greatest shift in business since the Industrial Revolution. The first season of our podcast is brought to you by EY, Building a Better Working World. There's been widespread speculation on what aspects of the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, will be scrapped or saved. A large chunk of that conversation has hinged on the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Innovation. Andy Slavitt is the acting administrator for the CMS, and he joins us today in a conversation recorded just prior to the election. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me here. Um, You have a very big job but I don't think most people really understand it. So I want to start with, what does the administrator of the CMS do? Well, so to start with, I think there's probably three things you should know about CMS. The first is that it's big. Uh, Our budget's a trillion dollars. Think about it as 25% of the federal budget. To buy, just just to size it for you, Department of Defense is probably 600 billion would be the next largest. Wow. So, So you're, two-thirds larger than the Department of Defense budget. Yeah, 25% of the federal budget. Wow. Uh, the second thing you should know is we touch a lot of people. So we touch about 140 million Americans every day. So those are people on Medicare, people who are on Medicaid, which is a program for working poor and people living with disabilities, uh, the marketplace, otherwise known as Obamacare, right. uh, Children's Health Insurance Program. And what the vast majority of those folks have in common is Many, if not most, are them li- are living on either a fixed income or, or a low income of some sort, and we we help provide for all their health care needs. And then the third thing I think you should know about it, it's probably the most interesting thing about CMS, is it really is, in many ways, has the opportunity to be the shaper of the future of health care. Yeah. Because we have, uh, you know, we have a billion new claims data coming in every year, and so we just did an open data project where we opened up all of health care claims. How we pay physicians and how we pay hospitals has a big influence on how they perform and how the rest of the healthcare system works. Yeah. So I think it's that third piece that I think is is very interesting. And that's where you focused a lot of your own attention in the last few years as you became the ACT administrator, right? Yeah. We have, because I think the you know Medicare and Medicaid and the marketplace, all of those things have to not just deliver today. They have to deliver for all of us. We both just had a magic birthday. Right. You know, 50. 50, (laughs) right. In 15 years, we're going to hope that we've got programs there for us. And in order to do that, the system's going to need to work very differently than it does today uh, because we have um, such an enormous amount of people that are aging. Healthcare costs are so high uh, that that we have a uh, a burning platform to transform. Yeah. I think. You know, from the point of view of business, and this is a show that focuses on business, healthcare seems to be this big, messy hairball um, that is growing at a rate much faster than inflation in terms of cost, and, and increasingly a larger and larger part of the GDP. Um, and of course, a political football. Why did you decide to leave the private sector right, right, and, and, right, and right. take on this, this well, like, challenge? For exactly those reasons. You yeah. know, um, I was 20 years in the private sector. I had, a, I think, a fairly traditional private sector career. I had a great career. I was sort of at the, you know, near the top of the game. Uh, and I came into the government originally when Obamacare and healthcare.gov ran into trouble. And I right. came in to lead the turnaround effort. 
And one of the things that I think this is when the website this went is when down. The website went down in 2014. Yeah. I think one of the things that you know probably both of us believe, John, and probably a lot of the viewers believe, is the, the old adage that it's 90% about execution. You can have the best ideas in the world. You can have the best healthcare policies. You can have the best business strategies, but ultimately, it's how you execute on the ground, how well you listen, adjust the people you bring in, and how you deliver. And when the administration said, Andy, how'd you like to come in? Um, I saw healthcare at a point where the Affordable Care Act could either end up as a great monument that serves America well for years, or it could end up as something that, um, that needs a lot of adjustment. And it was right. all gonna be based upon how well we executed. Right. So I think the decision for me was, and I would encourage all your talented listeners out there, doing at least a couple years of government service, yeah. bringing some of the, uh, not that I would hold myself out as the best and the brightest, but bringing people who have kind of real private sector talent into the government at a moment like this. And in my case, because the focus, my focus was so much on execution and because of the way we turned around the website, right. um, you know, we had a wide berth, I think, to do that with the broader part right. of the portfolio. Right. When you have such a significant change as the, you know, over the past four or five years that happened in this country, and then you have an entire political party saying, well, the first thing we're going to do is repeal it. Mm -hmm. um, is that a bit disheartening? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I think what's really uh, important from a political, first of all, you know, I think it maddens most of us that healthcare even delves into the realm of politics. Right. Because if you have a loved one in your family that's sick, you know, if you have to put a father or a mother in a nursing home, um, if your spouse has diagnosed with cancer, your child has asthma or, or, or needs a really expensive medication, um, the, the, the politics are, are really the last thing on your mind. So, but unfortunately, we're at a place where um, a lot of the issues, as you said, have become hyper-politicized. Right. So if it's interesting is if you go back to the last major piece of legislation that people will remember that affected people, it was the prescription drug benefit for seniors. That passed in you know, the, the mid-2000s, and it was a Republican-led effort. Uh, but after it passed and it became the law of the land, What's really interesting is both parties embraced it, mm -hmm. and there were fixes needed, there were corrections needed, and both parties got to work and they passed legislation because as everything that happens, two, three years into to something, you realize what works and you realize what doesn't. Right. Uh, that's what needs to happen here is um, everyone has to acknowledge the fact that this law, like every law, is not perfect. It's right. not going to be perfect. Uh, and you've got a couple choices on how you handle that. You can either say, as you said, um, tear it down, or you can say, we've got to figure out how to make it better. Now, politically, now that you have 20 million people who are covered right. newly for the first time, it may be a difficult political challenge for someone to come in and say, um, you know, we're just going to upend that. Yeah, yeah. There's been uh, related speed bumps, um, and, and, and uh, again, I, I, as a proxy for, for mm -hmm. our audience, yep. um, I read things like Aetna's pulling out of, mm -hmm. of certain exchanges or other insurers. or it, it feels like there's this tension, particularly with the insurers, in that the exchanges that have been set up um, may not have enough liquidity in them or enough young people mm -hmm. in them or too many old and yep. sick people in them. Um, what, what's your response yeah. to those headlines? So, let, me, let me tell you how I look at it. Um, first of all, this is a very new business with a new set of rules. I mean, think about the disruption that went on in uh, the cell phone industry when, when people 
could keep their phone numbers uh, no matter which where they moved. Right. Think about the kind of disruptions that go on in financial services. It's gone on in the auto industry with new regulations on on emissions and so forth. Companies emerge like Tesla and in, in, in the case of auto companies, E-Trades, et cetera, because these are different businesses and people recognize that they're different businesses. Right. There's a similar, similar story here in that what's the big disruption? The big disruption is that we said to Americans, you can get covered with no questions asked. Doesn't matter if you're sick, doesn't matter if you've been sick. So uh, I think it's candidly taken companies who've come in and come in companies a few years to adjust and figure out just plainly what's that going to cost. Right. It's clearly going to cost more if you're going to take care of people with no questions asked. Right. I don't think people knew how much. So I think one of the things that's happened is some companies grew a little too fast. Some companies uh, uh, underpriced a product because they just mm -hmm. didn't know. Mm -hmm. Now they have some data. So what does the data say? I think the most recent thing I saw was an article which said about half the companies were making money and about half the companies were losing money. I don't know if that's right, but maybe 40, 60, 60, 40. Mm -hmm. but, but, and so, so you're at a place where companies are, including the, the ones that are pulling back a little bit, they're still committing capital and they're trying to figure out how to adjust their business models. Right. In business, the popular sense of, of healthcare is that we're, we attach it to our companies. And mm -hmm. that, but how, what was the actual percentages of people who are covered by business in healthcare? And, and there is a shift happening in, in the workforce, which is much discussed in the technology circles, yeah. um, which has to do with sort of the gig economy, right. people right. being you know, yep. contractors exactly. as a profession, right? right. Um, and therefore not having benefits attached yep. to them. Um, what's your view on portable benefits? Well, that was one of really, actually one of the drivers for the president uh, at the time in the Affordable Care Act was um, so that people wouldn't be wedded to jobs for benefits. Right. And I think that's historically been the case because of a very simple reason. Um, that's been the most tax beneficial way to get health care has been right. through an employer. Right. Um, and, and what's it's actually interesting is many people predicted that employers would move out in large scale uh, after the Affordable Care Act into health care and into the exchanges. And in fact, um, one of the things you talked about earlier, which is which is, you know, where are the young and healthy people? Lot, they're, still getting, they're still getting their insurance through their employers, where right. is, is by and large the case. Um, but what's, what's fascinating about the marketplace is, you know, you now can, um, in this gig economy and in this sort of new economy, um, move around as much as you want and not have to worry. Um, so all things could go as expected. January 21st, I will be... I'll leave the administration, right. but I know I've got a marketplace. I have uh, some, some significant chronic conditions in my family. Right. I'm not at all worried. Right. Uh, and if I stay three months, if I stay six months, if I go take a job, if I don't, it's not going to be driven by health benefits. Right, right. One of the things that's, that, that, is, that drives health, you know, is external to the healthcare industry entirely, mm -hmm. which is um, sort of the policies that drive our food industry. Um, and, and I'm curious, you know, how much of your time or overall, I mean, you're talking about a trillion dollar budget, um, the needle could be moved quite a bit by policies that are not directly related to health. Do you, or does the CMS get involved in, in any of those oh, agricultural sure. farm bill policies that have to do with the inputs to our economy sure. and, you know, sugar and soda taxes and those right. kinds of things? Yeah. Well, so the answer is yes. I'll give you a slightly different example. 
Uh, I'll be in Oregon next week with the governor, and we're going to look at some innovative approaches for how housing and health are related. Hmm. And it wouldn't surprise any of us that if people don't have adequate housing, they don't have heat, they don't have light, they don't have electricity, um, they're not going to get taken care of when something happens right. to them. So um, increasingly, I think there is a wisdom that if, that if you want to get upstream, you talk, we talked a little bit earlier about we're going to have to do things different by the time we get to be 65. Right. Well, what are some of the things we're going to have to do different? We're going to have to be focusing a lot more on prevention, on the social determinants of health causes, uh, on things like that. So I, w I work closely with the CDC. So I've got their sister agencies. The right. CDC is one of them. Yeah. Um, and we have a program called A Million Hearts, um, where we are focused on looking for early signs of stroke, early signs of heart disease. We have a, we have a diabetes prevention program, which which we run out of local communities in, like YMCA's, mm -hmm. which, are, which find people and, uh, before they get sick. So for the very first time, we're starting to experiment, and these really are experiments, but we're starting to experiment with how do we get upstream and what are the creative ways we can spend that money upstream so we don't have to spend it downstream. Right. Well, one of the things that gives you, that, that helps you make these decisions uh, or gain these insights is data. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the open data work that you've spearheaded uh, at CMS and, sure. and what are the insights that you're learning and, and what are maybe some frustrations that, that you have in terms of the data you wish you could get access sure. to? Sure. So it's interesting. Um, people in healthcare bemoan the fact that we don't have really good quality information to make decisions. But if, you know, if we were talking to somebody at Procter & Gamble or Target and we told them, you know what, every time someone walked into your store, we would have a record of everything they bought, when they bought it, why they bought it, what they bought before it, what they bought after it, what it was related to. That's what you have in healthcare. So we, we have over a billion claims a year of every time you go to a pharmacy, every time you go to a hospital, every time you get a lab done. And, and that can all be arrayed in, in ways that I think are very, very useful. So I think the great news is we have said quite clearly that we're going to put all this information out. We put it out in, in public use files. Uh, we put it out in even more useful forms, for example. Uh, we, 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 we put out all of the nursing homes in the country, and we rate them according to the quality of the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important, very popular kind of a feature. So the good news is um, we're trying to model that. We're trying to lead the way. I think the, the challenge is, and a challenge for all of us over the next few years, is um, too many people view their data, the data that they have, as their own proprietary asset, mm -hmm. business asset. Mm -hmm. So if you're an electronic medical records company, or if you're a hospital, yeah. or if you're an insurance company, um, you feel like your data has value, and you feel like you don't want to share that value. And so we have to break these silos up right. pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> One of the things that's related to the data question is that, and this is something where the individuals feel like their data is quite personal. Not only my health data is personal, which I think everyone generally feels, but now we're getting to the point where your own genetic or genomic information is is now germane to your care. Right. Um, and we're, at least in the Valley, there's a strong belief that we're very close to cracking some very large problems. Right. Um, are we being too optimistic about that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, we, the, the vice president just yesterday uh, 
presented to the to the president uh, the report that that many of us worked on uh, called the cancer moonshot yeah. uh, report and uh, what what that allowed us to do was and the vice president really modeled this as he traveled around the country and met with entrepreneurs and scientists uh, and tried to figure out how to galvanize all of these resources together and you can't help but feel optimistic you can't help but see the promise of of what can be done as you can get closer and closer to matching um, what the, the treatment with the conditions that people have. It's a whole new world for us, and we're going to have to figure out how to approve it, make sure it's safe, get it done rapidly, pay for it, all of those things. Right. But that, that's where we need to go. Yeah. 21 days from the election, you are in a political appointee. Um, and as of January 21st, when the administration turns over, you'll be leaving. Um, I don't want to get you any trouble, but I'm curious, now that you've spent a few years in government, what is your greatest frustration with working inside of government? So, what's, what's, so on a great day, you can do seemingly small things that change people's lives forever. So, you know, a typical day, I, you know, there was a, a, a program in Massachusetts that was changing the way uh, people in disability community lived, and uh, it needed a little more time to be successful. It needed a little bit more money. We're talking like $10 million, mm -hmm. five more years. And the ability to do that, you know, changed people's lives right. forever. Uh, up until last week, people who would go into nursing homes um, could be forced to sign arbitration, uh, binding arbitration, upon being admitted to a nursing home, right. which, which really was not, was not a good thing for a lot of people. Right. You know, we changed that. And so there's a lot of things that don't make the news that you can do every day, and, and, and that's, that's, that's great. Uh, and that's a, that's a part about the job that I've loved, and I think it's been great. So a bet, what's a bad day look like? Right? <laughs> uh, you know, a, a bad day is when you know, there is an opportunity for a real dialogue, for real progress, um, and yet you have um, you know, tried and true forces in, in Washington, uh, which Washington has got a, the people in Washington have a pretty good skill at trying to kill things that aren't in their interests. Right. Because there's so much money involved in this industry, the opportunity to find win-wins um, are, are real. But you've got, when you have industries or groups that come in and say, you know what, if I can just kill this for two more years, uh, it's better than a dialogue. And so right. you have those moments as right. well. Right, right, that's gotta be frustrating. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, when you have a trillion dollar budget, um, there's going to be a lot of people fighting over getting their piece of it or interested in ensuring that their piece never goes away. That's right. Right. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And so I think you've got to be very careful about a couple of things. One is, if you're going to make a policy decision, um, it's important to me that the people on our team get a 360-degree view. So if they're meeting with the pharmaceutical industry, I also need to know that they're meeting with consumer advocates. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's highly important. That, that we see all sides of it. And then, and then I think we have an obligation to get beyond what the lobbyists and associations tell us and get into the field. That's why I'm in New York today, right. going out to, to, to visit a, a great facility. That's why I'm going to be in Oregon next week. Right. Our team needs to go out and really get closer to where CARES practice. Otherwise, I think you know, Washington would rightly be accused of losing touch. Do you have any idea what you'll be doing after January 21st? Well, if I do my job right, on January 20th, I could make a mortal enemy. Because you know, in this job, as you as you said, uh, there are people. You've got to make you know tough decisions. Right. And in any given day, 
you know, you've got to do the right thing. I've been fortunate that I had a, I've had a great private sector career right. going into this. So uh, this job is not a stepping stone for me. Right. So I will, uh, I will, I will not think about. I've got the luxury to not think about this until yeah. until after I leave. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you very much for taking some time to come and be thank part you, of John. this. Thanks to our sponsor EY for their support of our first season of the Shift Dialogue podcast. EY building a better working world.